So we have the, the whole series on, on healing. They all go together, right? All the Bible studies, all the messages. Um, they all build on each other. They all interconnect. It's on the, the YouTube channel as a playlist. It's also on um, our website. And so you can go back and, and listen to them and just uh, let the word of life just cultivate, be cultivated inside of you. Right? Like, like Paul come and talked about divisions and factions. You know, divisions and factions develop when people attribute their, the blessing they've experienced or the liberty they've experienced or, or whatever impact the gospel has had on their life. Divisions and factions develop when they attribute it to a human instead of to God. Right? And, and Paul come and said that one might uh, plant and one might water, but it's God who gives the increase. Right, And so there's this dynamic where um, God has sowed his seed into the earth. And all of you that have believed on Jesus, he sowed his seed into you. You know the parable of the sower sows the seed? God's the sower. It says the word is the seed. Well, Jesus is the word made flesh. And so God has sowed his seed into the earth. It is his word of life. And he sowed that into all your hearts. And when we listen to messages, it's like a watering, right? It's a watering of the seed that's already in you, right? And God, who planted the seed, also waters the seed with the preaching of his gospel. And so it's him that brings forth the increase, right? So I think if you go back and listen to the messages and spend some time um, meditating on it with God, letting it discern your heart, letting questions come up, let questions be answered, it will really help you. And then, like I said, we'll, we'll take communion at the end. Um, so today, I mean, I hate to use the word practical, but, you know, the gospel has a practical and also practical way of working itself out in our lives and in our mortal bodies, right? It has like an effect inside of our bodies. When you're hearing the gospel and you, you, the gospel is persuading you of the truth, it actually has an effect on your health and on your mortal body, right? It does. It, it, it has a, a uh, healing effect in our lives as we walk in this world beholding Jesus in a practical way. And it's still a miracle, but I know we only define a miracle kind of like if a person doesn't have a leg and I say abracadabra and now their leg appears, right? Oh, that's a miracle, right? But as you find just the, the, the wholeness that comes from beholding Jesus as you walk in this earth, it has a practical working itself out of health inside of you, right? And that's also a miracle. And when I say abracadabra, do you know what's interesting? I've said this before, but you know, abracadabra comes from the ancient Hebrew word, which means father, son, and spirit. And so the way they, the magician would pull a rabbit out of the hat was like declaring father, son, and spirit, abracadabra. Look what I can do, right? And you can go and look up the etymology of the word abracadabra. And it comes from ab, which is father, son. It, it goes into the whole thing. You can look it up. It's pretty cool, right? How everything in our world, even if it doesn't claim God, it all came from God right? Even the world that rejects God and, and everything they say and everything they do, they're still declaring God, right? Even in the world that says they're no God, they're basically declaring, well, God's the only one who has life because every time we try to find life, we bring forth wars, right? <laughs> so clearly we don't have God, we don't have life in ourselves when we try to, right? But we're going to look at that. The name of the message is, is divine health. 
I looked, and someone might be able to correct me, because obviously there's too many verses to, to remember all of the verses. But the, I couldn't find that term in the Bible, divine health. I've heard a lot about divine health growing up, but I couldn't find that term um, used in the Bible. You can find the word peace or shalom used to talk about health. Right? And most of us wouldn't equate the word peace with health. But shalom, when Jesus said, peace be unto you, he wasn't speaking in English. Right? And so Jesus would have been speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, and he would have said, shalom unto you. Right? And so you see Jeremiah 29 that says, I know the thoughts that I have for you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace. That's shalom. And that actually means health. We tend to only think of peace in the sense of an argument or a fight or a war. Right? We have a peace treaty, and now there's no more war. But the word used for health in the Old Testament is, is peace, and it's shalom in the Hebrew, and it's a holistic term. Does everybody know what holistic means? It means it doesn't compartmentalize health to one part of the body. It's the whole person. right? And when it talks about this shalom or this health, it would first and foremost, the anatomy of the health would first and foremost be dealing with the heart. And we'll get into this in a bit, but you know, Proverbs says, out of the heart flow the issues of life. So if you actually wanted to experience what you considered to be health, right, in your body, that health would first have to happen inside of your heart. And so when you think of the word health in the scriptures, it's not compartmentalized. It's not talking about whether you have a cold or a virus or a flu. It's not talking about that, right? It's talking about the well-being of a person prospering, right? Their well-being prospering. You know, we talk about mental health a lot. Have you taken a mental health day, right? Your mental health prospering, right? And so if your mental health is, is kind of jacked up, listen, you're, that's not healthy. Your body might be strong as can be. How many of you know there's some people that are as healthy as they can be in their body, and they're as strong as they can be in their body, yet they're not healthy? <laughs> right? And so I say that to kind of like challenge our thinking so we can think about this the way God would think about it. Right? It, the word shalom speaks of the well-being of a person prospering. It talks about them being filled with contentment. A person who is filled with contentment is a healthy person right? Regardless of where they might find themselves or in what situation they might find themselves. If they're filled with contentment, they're healthy. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Right? And so shalom talks about a state of wholeness or completeness. It's where a soundness, you know, like a sound mind, he haven't given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a sound mind. That's health, right? It talks about a state of wholeness and completeness. It's where a tranquility or a quietness or a stillness is come alive inside of you, right? And it brings a quietness to your life, right? It calms the voices in your head. It shuts the mouth of the accusations that you could hear. You know, there's a scripture Matt Matt been saying a lot and and I think about a lot, it says, why do the heathen rage? The rage would be what it looks like to be sick, right? They're not healthy because there's not a stillness or a quietness inside of them, right? They're 
in a state of upheaval, laboring and toiling. They don't have contentment. That's why they rage. Do you see what I'm saying? They're sick. They're weakly. They're diseased. And it has nothing to do with whether or not they, they're strong in their body, like we think of being strong, right? Like our, our brother Keith that isn't here today. But, I mean, the guy was like a weightlifter, right, and a trainer. Well, if you see Keith, the, the dude is chiseled, right? Like he's like a specimen. I mean, he looks like the Hulk, you know? And the, many of the heathen also looked like that, yet they were weak and sickly and diseased because there wasn't a stillness or a quietness in them. They raged. And I think it was Annette that said this, but I, I can't stop talking about this. You know, when Jesus, I was talking with Becky about it this morning. I think, Annette, I think you're the one who said it. If you're not, then I'm sorry. And whoever I stole credit from, I'm sorry. Because I know we place a lot of emphasis on taking credit. It's the strangest thing in the body of Christ when you see ministers arguing over who said what. They're like, no, no, I said that. Well, listen, man, should any of us say anything that's good, I promise you God said it. And we're all plagiarizing God. Oh, this whole argument about who takes credit for saying it. Listen, man, if, that's the wrong way around it. But I was thinking of Jesus in the boat, and I never thought of it this way when they said that. But, you know, Jesus in the boat with the disciples where the sea was raging. Right? And the disciples were very freaked out. They, they weren't healthy in the boat because there was a turmoil in them and the creation wasn't healthy there was a turmoil there it was sick it was diseased and then jesus says i mean is it peace be still that he says shalom well i think it's annette that said this i could be wrong but i never looked at it this way we tend to only look at it as jesus took authority you have authority you're going to take authority but annette said it was more like Jesus saw the turmoil of his creation and he was comforting it. Shalom. It's okay. Right? It's okay. I'm here. And a health. The, the, the storm was quieted. And that was a health that came upon it. And then the disciples, the storm that was raging in them, don't, we're perishing, Lord, don't you care? He healed them by quieting the storm inside of them. He actually served them with peace also. Shalom. Right? So a health came upon them, alive inside of them, that had nothing to do with some outward manifestation in their physical body. Right? And we want to focus on that when we're thinking of anatomy of a miracle. Because we want to be thinking about the life that makes everything still, that'll bring a calmness, that'll bring a contentment, that'll bring a tranquility, that'll bring a wholeness, that'll bring a completeness alive inside of us that gives us mental health. Right? But I never thought of it like that. That Jesus was, it's okay. Calm down. He was comforting. Right? And there's a healing to being comforted. Right? To being the storm being calmed. And so we, we, we want to think about if, you know, if we want to call it divine health, I just called it that because that's the term that's thrown around all the time. If we want to think of it that way, um, we want to think about it from that foundation. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 um, or chapter 11, and we'll take our, our passages from, from there. And this is Paul talking about the Lord's Supper, right? Paul calls it the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. It, it actually is the same thing. The reason we, I want to remind everybody why we call it communion. 
right? It isn't because of some physical attribute that we take the bread and we drink the wine and that's communion. When you commune with something, it means you're intimate with it, right? You're having fellowship with it. And the whole point of taking communion isn't that you take uh, wine or bread or grape juice and bread. It isn't that you take that. It's that you're communing or having intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And his body and what it means that he offered his own body up for you, right? And there's a lot to be said about that. So the Lord's Supper, communion, same kind of a deal, right? So Paul's talking to these people about the Lord's Supper, about communion. And we'll, be, we'll pick it up in verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, for those of you that like to follow along, and we'll read through a bunch of the passages, and we'll uh, start breaking it down. He says, When you come together, therefore, into one place, it's not to eat of the Lord's Supper. That's not what y'all are doing. You get Greg's commentary in there, right? <laughs> this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. <laughs> That's not what y'all, y'all are doing something, but it's not to eat of the Lord's Supper, right? Actually, the heathen raged is actually what they were doing, <laughs> right? They were raging is what was going on there. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone takes before the other his own supper. And so it's like when you came together, you're not thinking of the, the Lord's body and what he did in offering his body up to be broken, to divorce you from the body that has death in it and to, be bra- to braid you together with the Father. That's not what you're thinking of. You're thinking of how hungry you are and you need to fill your belly. Right? So imagine like we have communion today and I'm up here. I'm the first one up here. I don't know if y'all know. Well, maybe Jill's closer than me, but I can take her out. So imagine now, imagine now after I pray about the communion, I run over there and eat all the bread myself. Do y'all think I'm thinking of the Lord's Supper? I'm thinking that I'm hungry and I need to fill my belly or I'm going to die. So I promise you, if that's what I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the body of death, right? I'm, I'm thinking that I need to give this body life, and the way I'm going to give this body life is by eating. But we know Jesus, when he hadn't eaten in 30 days, and the devil came tempting him to turn the stones into bread to feed himself with life, Jesus said man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word of God, right? And so those dudes weren't thinking of the Lord's body. They were thinking of filling their belly, right? They were thinking of rising up and playing is what they were thinking of doing. For in eating, everyone takes before the other his own supper, and one one of you is hungry and another is drunk. What? You can see Paul scratching his head. Did I explain this right? You know, when when you're preaching all the time, you always think, I must not be saying this right. There's got to be a better way to say it. I pray every day for the Lord to make the message clear. But I can just think Paul thinking, did I explain this to these guys properly? Because if this is what's happened, what's going on? He says, what? Have you no houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. This is not what I set forth in front of you, this is not what it's about, right? And it isn't just semantics, right? Paul's thinking that in partaking of the Lord's body, 
it will actually be shalom for them. Right? And so that's why it's such a big concern. This isn't just like, oh, well, who cares? No, Paul's thinking that the power for these people to find the shalom or the peace or the health of God manifesting in them from the inside out is found in discerning the Lord's body. And so that's why he, he's thinking of this. He says, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. So why do you take the communion? Do you take the communion to eat the bread and drink the wine? You take the communion to do what? In remembrance of Jesus. Do you know why? You don't have to have the physical elements to take communion. If you're off in a desert, I promise you, you can have communion with the Lord if you don't have anything to eat or drink, right? But do you know why the physical elements can be helpful? Because we're a physical people. And sometimes it helps us to remember something if we have something that we see tangible right in front of us. It, helps, it can help us to try to connect. Right? But I promise you, the eternal spirit inside of you isn't as weak as your flesh. And so in the day you find yourself off in the wilderness, not having eaten for 30 days and 30 nights like the Lord Jesus, I promise you, you could still have communion. And people can argue with me about, about this, but I think that, that I'd be proven out to be right. Jesus was having communion when he was being tempted by the devil. And he didn't have no bread and no wine. But I promise you, he was communing with the Father of lights in heaven from above. And he was communing with the life he shared with the Father from the beginning. He was communing with the Father's word over his life in the Jordan River when, before he went to be tempted, when the Father said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know what it means to call somebody your son? When you declare that to somebody, you know what you're telling them? Your life has come forth from me. I mean... There's fathers that would get upset. I don't think my dad ever said this, but it, it's a famous cliche in our society. I brought you into the world and I can take you out. Right? You see what you're saying? Your life come forth for me. Don't get it twisted. And so when Jesus, and we understand what it means to be the sons and daughters of God, and what it means that God's our father, it means the life we have has come from him. And listen, one of the biggest struggles for us is to understand that or to grab hold of it because we see these mortal bodies that don't look like the life the Father has from above. And then we live more by what we see here instead of what we see there. Right? And so for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He comes. Do you see what He's saying? You're declaring the Lord's death till he comes. And I want to put some connection in the scriptures of this for people that like to study the scriptures. And listen, the scriptures are rich, right? It says, as you take the body and you, you, you drink the, the cup, as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do show forth the Lord's death. 
Do you know what he's connecting that to? There's several things he's connecting it to, but one of the things he's connecting that to is Revelation 12, where it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Well, what is the word of their testimony? That Jesus gave his own body up to be broken. And in him giving his body up to be broken, guess what? He's ended my fellowship to this body that's dying, right? And he's actually done something to where I could be one flesh with God in his indestructible life. And, you know, that saves you in the day you're in this world and the evil one comes to you and tells you about how you don't have life. Which is what sickness is trying to tell you. That you're separated from something you need for life. It's trying to get you to see yourself as one with the body of death. Well, when you take the cup and you take the bread, you are declaring the Lord's death. You're saying the Lord shed his own blood. He put off the body of corruption. He divorced me from the body that can die. Well, listen, that saves you from the condemnation that's in the world. Because Paul come and said, I don't know if you guys remember this verse. Paul comes and says in Romans 7, Oh, wretched men that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? Who shall deliver me from this body that has death in it and that can die? Because I find inside of myself, I don't like dying. I don't like not having life. And I don't like thinking that I don't have life. And I don't like seeing something connected to me that tells me it can destroy my life. Who's going to save me from that? And then he says, I thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of life that's in him. So every time you take the cup and eat the bread, you are declaring the blood of the lamb. You are declaring to the enemy. You are encouraging yourself in the Lord. You are being stirred up by way of remembrance that Jesus has saved me from this body that has death in it and can die. The way he saved me is he's divorced my life from it right? I'm not joined to this dust body. I'm actually part of the body of Christ. That's why we're called the body of Christ, right? And so when the devil comes to point at my body and the different weaknesses it has, I don't know if you guys realize it. You might not think it's a weakness, but I don't have no hair. And some of you might be thinking, well, who cares if you don't have any hair? And I got to be honest, I'm happy I don't have no hair now. I am, and I, I told the Lord, we were talking funnily about the new heaven and the new earth, and I told him, I said, listen, Lord, I didn't really like my hair ever. I don't want it back. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I go, well, and he's like, listen, Greg, I can promise you this. You're going to like whatever it is you have, and you're not going to find any fault with it. Well, there was a time, though, I didn't want to be bald, and you know what it was? is when I first married my wife. Because I was thinking, I just married my wife, and what, how... How can that be nice for her, right? I've just married her and now I'm losing all my hair. Right now, obviously that didn't come from God and it's not a true statement, but I'm just sharing some of the weaknesses you can feel, right? And so these things try to accuse us. And that's the body of death that we put off every time we declare, right? That's what's happening inside of us. Everything that ails our lives is from us identifying with the death we see in the world or with these dust bodies instead of identifying with the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that ails our life is from that, right? And so communion is about you saying, wait a second, I'm, this, I'm not identifying with this body anymore. I'm identifying with that body instead.
And what you see in that body is a life that can't die. And then you start being fed with nutrients, right? And that starts working health from the inside out. If you can understand what I'm talking about, right? So for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. That's a heavy, that's a heavy thought, isn't it? How many of you want to be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus? Nobody's raising their hand. I mean, there was a time in my Christianity where you, you so much didn't want to be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. You're just going to be extra careful. You ever like gone the extra step to make sure you couldn't be found in the wrong place? I just ain't taking communion at all then. Just in case. <laughs> we ain't taking no chances here. Right? What, what do we call it? Erring on the side of caution. <laughs> I don't want to be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. Right? And, and something we do is we pluck these terms out and we just give our own definitions to these terms. This same type of term is used elsewhere in the Bible in a different kind of a way. And as, as a people, we can start growing in our understanding of terminology. You could say the same thing, but use different terminology. And you might find sometimes you're saying the same thing as somebody else. It's just your terminology doesn't match up. So when, when Paul talks here about being guilty of the body and blood of Jesus, it's the same kind of thing that Hebrews talks about when it talks about trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant. It talks about putting the Lord Jesus to an open shame, right? It talks about doing despite to the spirit of grace, right? It talks about crucifying to yourselves again over and over the Son of God. And what it means is, is you count the blood that Jesus shed as common. And what you do is you, you, you're forgotten that he's divorced you from death. You've forgotten that he's forgiven your sin. Peter comes and talks about it. He says, if any of you don't have shalom or peace manifesting in you, if any of you don't find the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in you, which, oh, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit is the most practical thing that can help your health. A life filled with peace and love and joy is a healthy life. And it has the most practical effect to your personhood now. And we'll revisit that at the end. But to be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus, to put the Son of God to an open shame, to live as if He has to be crucified over and over and over and over again, is for you to continuously consider the sin and death you see in your own body, for you to consider the death you see all around you, and for you to live as if that sin can still reign over you, for you to live as if Jesus hasn't shed His own blood to divorce you from sin and death once for all time. It's to live as if Jesus hasn't already perfected your life from the corruption in the world once for all time. It's to live as if sin can take life from you as if some sickness can keep you from life and to now think that Jesus has got to be crucified over and over again to deliver you. To take communion in an unworthy manner is that you're taking it like these dudes were taking it, not considering the body and blood of Jesus. Right? You're counting his work common. And I just want to give you an example of how we can count it as common. Right? When I was a young guy training all the time, and all the time into confession and confession and confession. I was training for the Olympics. I got a stress fracture in my foot. And don't you know, that stress fracture, I believed it would just be healed. And I would still run 160 miles every week on that stress fracture, confessing the whole time. Do you know how many times you could say, by, by his stripes I have been healed? Do you know how many times you could say that on a 26-mile run? So I'm, I'm running like 26, 27 miles a day the whole time confessing that. Right? You see, but I was counting the blood of the covenant as common. 
Because I thought my ability to have life, my ability to have glory was found in what I could do with running. And so now I thought this stress fracture in my foot could keep me from life. I thought this stress fracture in my foot was a sign I was separated from life. I thought it was a sign that I was one with this injury and I wasn't one with God. I was counting the blood of the covenant as common, right? I wasn't thinking of what he did. I wasn't thinking of this stress fracture cannot separate me from the love of God. This stress fracture cannot separate me from what Jesus did to liberate my life from being held in this world. This stress fracture cannot keep me from seeing God in my flesh, right? You see the difference there? I was guilty of the body and blood. And the, the guilt there was, is I wasn't remembering it. You see, because the accuser come and said to me, look at your ability to run. If you can use your ability, it's a great ability. It's greater than most people's ability to run. If you can use that ability, you can be in the Olympics. You can win gold medals. You can break world records. You can get on the box of Wheaties. And if you could do that, you could maximize your potential. And that will show forth your glory. That will be the evidence that you have life and that you're a son of God. That's what the enemy was telling me. And that's when he come and pointed at your stress, my stress fracture. Where's your God now? You see, I wasn't remembering the body and the blood. I wasn't remembering that God had made my body his temple and that this stretch fracture could never be a sign that God wasn't in my body. I wasn't remembering that God himself poured out, he, he offered his own body up to be broken. He provided himself as a lamb so that he could make my body his temple and that he could cause the death in this world to pass over me. I was not remembering that. Do you know what I was feeding myself every day? The weakness I saw in my body. And I was living every day as if the weakness was greater than the life of God. And if I could get rid of the weakness, then I could have life. You know what it did? It got worse and worse and worse and worse. Because I don't know if you realize this, my foot not having a stress fracture is not the power of God unto salvation. The power for me to have life is not found in my foot. The power for you to have life is not found in what you see or don't see in your body. The power for you to have life is found in you seeing you've been divorced from this body that can die and you've been braided together with the Lord Jesus in his body that can never die. Right? And that will start healing you from the inside out. That's what it means to be guilty of the body and the blood. You see? I just got to be honest. We, we, we made these verses so heavy, we, nobody wants to just like come out with the elephant in the room. Most all of Christianity has been guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. Because we have forgotten what it means that he has forgiven our sin. And do you know why we forgot? Because we taught the forgiveness of sin as if it was about God being angry with us because we were bad boys and girls. And now he went to some anger management program and he's no longer angry with us. But that's not what forgiveness is in Hebrew. That's what forgiveness is in our culture. If I've done something to offend you, you might come and tell me, you forgive me. And what are you trying to say to me? I'm not mad at you anymore. But that's not what Jesus is saying when he's walking around and saying, your sin has forgiven you. Forgiveness means to divorce one party from another party. It means to send something away from another. And so the forgiveness of sin is about how God got it right to send away from you death and sin and weakness and mortality. And when we see weakness in our bodies or sickness in our bodies or death in our bodies, those things are trying to tell us we're one with that weakness. 
And then we forget that God has divorced us from the weakness. And we're forgetting that we've been caught up and braided together with God. And so we've all been guilty. And it's not because we're bad people. It's because we were taught things that weren't the gospel. By well-intentioned people that were also taught these things. That's why Jesus would come and say, the traditions of man make the word of God of zero effect. Right? Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let every man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Paul, in another place, says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. So as you're taking the body and blood, right, make sure you're thinking of the Lord and the work that he's done. Not just a historical event, but what does it mean about my life? What does it tell me about what I see in my life right now? How does it discern my life right now? How does it discern what I'm experiencing in my life right now? Right? For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Condemnation doesn't come from God. Paul said the condemnation came from the body of death. Who shall save me from? This body of death. This body that I see is weak. This body is I, that I see is sick. This body is tormenting me. Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm beholding the weakness in my flesh, and it's making me feel like a wretch. How many of you feel good when you think you see a weakness in your body? Especially one that seems to linger. Do you know what you feel like? Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched woman that I am. Somebody please save me. But the power of the gospel is he has done something to save you. And we're living as if he hasn't done something to save us, but if we can get a miracle, that will be our salvation. But we need to be twisting on what he has done to save us. And as we find ourselves eating that or discerning the Lord's body, discerning what God did in the Lord's body to sanctify us once from all time from the death that's in the world, that is what will heal us. You see? You'll find yourself like Paul. I'm more than a conqueror. Whether shipwreck, whether lashes, whether death, whether I live, whether I die, whether I suffer, whether I don't eat, whether I'm floating in an ocean and sharks are nibbling at my feet, nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's a healthy person. You can be floating in an ocean with sharks eating at your feet and still be a healthy person because you could be thinking of the Lord's body and you could be thinking of how he hath delivered me from this body that can die. And you start thinking like Job, where you say, when, where his wife comes and says, just curse God and die. Look at all the ailments in your body. And Job says, this one thing I know, my Redeemer is alive. And then you see what he says after that? I will see God in my flesh. Do you see what he's talking about? This flesh will be glorified with immortality. So you come and point at the weakness, I'm beholding the life. And that will cause you to be healthy, healed, strong, more than a conqueror, right? For this cause, many among you are weak and sickly, and many sleep. For if we would judge, we'll just, for we, well, no, I'll read it till the end. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Judged would just mean if we could look at ourselves and see for ourselves that we aren't discerning the Lord's body, we wouldn't need God to come and tell us. 
right? It's not talking about judgment in the sense of a punishment, right? He says the chastening of the Lord. That's the correction of the Lord. He said the Lord corrects you because he loves you. And it bothers him to see you weak and sickly, right? Considering that he put on a body that could die and offered his own body up to be broken so that you could have shalom. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Right? So you see what Paul's saying about their gatherings? That these guys, they're supposed to be coming together remembering the Lord's Supper. All these things I just talked about. Right? He tells the Corinthians they're eating and drinking condemnation to themselves. And the way they're doing that is they're forgetful hearers. Like what James said, to be doers of the word and not forgetful hearers. Do you know how you do a word? You believe it. Well, you've forgotten this word. So Paul says you're forgetful hearers. You're not remembering that death has already passed over you. You're not remembering that God has severed your union to the body of death and done something to braid you together with him in his life through the body of Christ. You're not remembering that. You're not remembering your lives have been liberated already from the corruption in the world. You're not remembering your lives have been begotten from the word of truth. Because this world is all the time trying to tell you your life has not been begotten from the word of truth. This world is all the time trying to tell you that your life is corruptible. And listen, we can see things that seem like evidence. That's why it's called a contradiction. He says, you're forgetting all that. You're not discerning the Lord's body. Your hearts and minds aren't filled with the lamb God provided when you gather together. And because of that, many among you are weak and sickly and falling asleep. Okay, that's what he says there. Now, this most certainly has an application to our natural bodies. Because anything that, 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 that heals the heart would also work itself out into the body, right? But it, it, it's the heart outward. That's how it works. So it, it, it definitely has application to our natural bodies and our physical health, and we'll look at that. With that being said, the primary context of being weak and sickly and falling asleep isn't talking about having a cold or a virus or like we call a disease, like a COVID. That's not the primary context. It's not a fever or a flu. He's not saying, well, because you haven't discerned the Lord's body, you got scarlet fever. That's not what those dudes were doing. That isn't the weak and sickly he was talking about there. Proverbs 17.22 says it this way. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Okay, so Solomon says a merry heart is like a medicine. Do you see what he does there? He draws a connection to being healthy in the heart. The heart and being healthy. So when Paul talks about weak and sickly, he's talking about those dudes' heart. That's what he's talking about. Solomon goes, says in another place in Proverbs, and we'll see Solomon says this a lot in Proverbs. Solomon says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the, the body sick, the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. You know, the, the Hebrew word for, for sick, do you know, what it, you know what it means? To be weak and diseased. We tend to think of weak and diseased in the context of our culture and what we see in a person's body. 
and whether they have what we call an illness or not. Instead of first thinking of it and, and foremost thinking of it as the heart and what's going on in the heart. Paul's addressing these dudes' heart. The weak and sickly is in their heart. And then he gets to how that's working itself out. And, and we'll get to that, right? So Solomon equates being sick and weak and diseased to the condition of the heart, doesn't he? To the condition of the heart. Not whether a person has a physical illness or not. Do you see that? And the book of Proverbs contrasts many times what it means to be healthy with what it means to be weak and sickly. It does it over and over, actually. And it's always speaking about what's in the heart. It's always talking about what's in the heart. And yes, it absolutely has a physical manifestation because Proverbs also says, out of the heart flow the issues of life. Doesn't it? So in the heart, it's going to be sick or it's going to be healthy. And then out of that is going to come the issues of life. But that's not to say, if you're dealing with some type of genetic type of illness, that you're the weak and the sickly Paul's talking about. If you look at it that way, you're carnal. Hey, I'm just going to say this as radically as I can. A person dealing with an infirmity in their flesh or an illness can also not be weak and sickly. I'm just going to say this as, I'm just going to present the greatest contradiction ever. The Lord Jesus was not weak and sickly on the cross. Go read Psalm 23. Does a guy who's weak and sickly say, the Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Do you know what a weak and sickly person would have looked like on the cross? Them wanting to come down. Jesus could have come down, did he? There's another guy. You guys ever heard of Nick Vujicic? You ever listen to that guy talk? Are we going to now define him as the weak and sickly? For those of you who don't know, go look him up on YouTube. He's got no arms and legs. And you can go listen to that dude talk. I promise you, he's more healthy than most every Christian you'll ever find, and he ain't got no arms and legs. Are we going to call him the weak and sickly because of a physical infirmity we see in his body now? Let it never be said. I mean, that guy has discerned the Lord's body. Do you know what that guy's discerned? That there's a life in God that's greater than the infirmity in this physical body. And whether I got arms or legs, nothing can separate me from the power of God in his life. He ain't weak and sickly. He's overcoming the infirmity in his body by the power of the life he sees he has in Jesus. Right? You see this? He's got a merry heart. <laughs> and it's been a medicine to him. Because he's looked at it. The dude's married. He's got kids. He's got no arms and legs. It, it's, you, you think it couldn't be. You think it's like an AI video. But it's not. It's true. He's discerned the Lord's body. He said, my life is not one with this body of death. My life is one with the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's been a medicine to him. And he's done more and done, gone more places and done more for the kingdom of God than most believers have. I promise you he ain't weak and sickly. And Paul would not be calling that guy weak and sickly. So many times you can look at a weakness in your body and you can call yourself the weak and the sickly. And you're actually ministering death to yourself. 
Because you're not discerning the Lord's body. You're eating unto yourself the body of death. Proverbs 13, 17 says, A wicked messenger falls into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is help. You see what Solomon does there? He contrasts mischief with help. Being full of mischief with help. And so to be full of mischief is weak and sickly. To not be full of mischief is hell. Right? Now, the people Paul described in Corinth that were showing up and just, if I ran over here, if I prayed for communion, I ran over there and ate all the bread and I started drinking all the wine. You know what y'all might say? He's mischievous. That's how the people in Corinth were that he was talking to. They were weak and sickly because they were full of mischief. Right? They were gathering and coming together to get drunk and fill their own bellies. They weren't gathering together to feed on the lamb God provided. Right? They were filled with what the Bible calls wantonness. Lust. They were filled with lust. That's what it means to be weak and sickly. Right? We'll continue to use this contradiction with Jesus on the cross. Which one was the healthy one and which one was the weak and sickly? You have all the people who aren't being crucified. Were they the healthy ones? So was Jesus the weak and sickly and the centurions nailing Jesus to the cross? They're the healthy ones? Come on, man. I'm sorry. We're going to see with the eyes of our heart instead of our natural eyes. I promise you, Jesus wasn't the sickly one. Those dudes were the sickly ones. But it's foolishness to the carnal mind, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. The wisdom of God is foolishness to the carnal mind. It can't comprehend it because it's judging everything outwardly. So Paul says many of the people in Corinth were eating and drinking the condemnation of the world to themselves. You want to ask yourself, do I understand what the condemnation the world is standing in? What that is? What is the condemnation the world is standing in? Because if I don't know what that is, then how can I understand the condemnation they're drinking unto themselves? I can promise you this, the condemnation of the world isn't talking about a cancer or an injury like not having some arms and legs. That's not what it's talking about. And our brother Paul, and this would help everybody, I keep saying this, but it's important for people. And hopefully in the future generations, we'll start having the scriptures being laid properly and interpreted properly. Paul doesn't just talk about the condemnation that's in the world in this one place. He gives a detailed description of the condemnation he's talking about here in Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8. He gives a detailed description of the condemnation they're drinking unto themselves. And do you know when, when he gives a detailed explanation? When he says, Oh, wretched men that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God for the Lord Jesus and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's when he goes on to say, There's therefore no more condemnation to those who are walking in the spirit and not after the flesh. 
So Paul stopped considering the deadness he saw in himself. That's what was causing him condemnation because nobody likes to see deadness in themselves. And if you see deadness in yourself, you're going to want life. And now you're going to be laboring to try to get life or heap life unto yourself. And Paul says that I've been saved from that condemnation, the condemnation where I want to bring forth life, but I'm trying to bring forth life by looking to my body that's dead to produce life. And because I'm looking to my dead body to produce life, I can't bring forth life because there's no life in this dead body to bring out. Who's going to save me? That's the condemnation that he's talking about. It's a life full of labors and toils, right? Who's going to save me from the dying body? That's the condemnation Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians. It's the condemnation that comes to a person when they've forgotten that their communion with the world and the death that's in the world has been destroyed and that they're one flesh with God through the body of Christ. That's the condemnation that comes to you. The accusation comes. The accuser comes and says, Is God your exceeding great reward? Are you really the temple of God? Are you really his son? Are you really his daughter? What about this? If he really loves you, why is this happening to you? That's the beginning. That's the anatomy of condemnation. He's trying to fill your body or your mind with the body or the death you see in yourself. He did the same thing to Jesus. He tried to get Jesus to drink unto himself condemnation. He come and pointed at Jesus' nakedness and his death on the cross. And what did Jesus say? Father. Jesus beheld the Father and the life he shared with the Father from the beginning. Right? So that's the condemnation the world stands in. The condemnation is they're stung with death. And because they're stung by death, they're considering deadness instead of the life of God. They're filled with fear and torment. They're filled with covetousness. Covetousness isn't talking about you lust after money or you're, you're just covering somebody's wife. You know the only reason why you covet somebody else's wife is because you think life is found in having their wife. And so actually what you're coveting and lusting after is life. And you think life can be found in these things. That's the condemnation the world stands in. They're lusting after life through the strength of the flesh, right? I see my neighbor has a wife. And I'm like, well, I think his wife is real nice. And in fact, the scripture says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. You see how you start justifying your murderous envy? But it isn't just that you're coveting the wife. We, we miss the root of so many of the things that we think. No, you're coveting life. It's just the serpent has convinced you that life is found in the woman. And so now you got to get the woman so you can have life. That's you trying to save yourself from death. That's the condemnation the world stands in. They see death in themselves. They see death all around. And they think the power to be saved from that death is found in the corruptible things in the world. So now they're all the time looking to the strength in their own hand to gather unto themselves things in the world, thinking they can decorate themselves with life through the things in the world. That's to be weak and sickly. That's a weak and a sickly person. They're trying to clothe themselves in peace, in comfort, in joy, in love. And they're trying to use the things in the world to do it. Do you know so many of us are trying to believe we're loved by God by getting a healing? You'll never get a healing like that. You know how you'll get a healing? By saying nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not even the death that's manifesting in this body. 
And now you start talking about how God has showed his love for you by giving his own body up to be broken so he could divorce you from death and braid you together with his life. That's how you'll find his resurrection life manifesting in you. And in fact, when you start twisting on that, you'll completely even forget about trying to get a healing. And that doesn't mean you won't get healed. It's like you think you've got to try to get healed in order to get healed. But the Bible talks about the parable of the sower sowing the seed, and it says the guy went to bed day or night and woke up with a big crop one day and didn't know how. And so you don't try to get the crop. You behold the seed. Now, because the world is walking after the flesh, that's what it means to walk after the flesh. It means for you to think the power for you to have peace and love and joy is found in you putting this to work to gather it to yourself, whether it be through an accomplishment like me with the Olympics, whether it be through a spouse, whether it be through a ministry. You can even do it with ministry. You can think the power to have peace and love and joy is a ministry. If you're thinking that, you could be performing ministry and be weak and sickly inside. Paul says because of that, what's happened in, in the Corinthian people is that it's left them in the place where they're full of mischief and now they're bearing about in their bodies the fruit of death, which is what Paul said. The good I desire, I don't find that I have it. In fact, I find the bad that I don't desire manifesting in my life. Right? That's what he says there. So with myself, with the example with the, the Olympics, weak and sickly in Corinth, falling asleep. When I was very young, I could do all those physical things. The world recognizes physicality. And the world was like, wow, look what you can do. That's amazing. I was too young to understand that life wasn't found in the glory that you get from man. And so I began thinking that life was found in what I could do. This is going to be the foundation from where I can have life. Well, then I got a bad injury as a young kid, and it blew up that whole idea. And you know what happened is I became weak and sickly on the inside. I was a Christian when I was a little boy and this happened. I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost when I was like three years old. But I didn't understand what it meant to discern the Lord's body. And so the moment I got the injury and I couldn't run anymore, I thought my life was hid in the running. I thought I was one with my ability to run and now I'm injured. So now I'm one with this injury and this injury that I'm one with is now keeping me from life. I was weak and sickly in my heart. I was full of mischief, meaning that I was laboring to try to give myself life. And do you know what I started doing to try to comfort myself from the pain I felt of being separated from what I needed to have life? I tried to comfort myself with drugs and alcohol. I tried to heap peace to myself. People don't get high because they're bad people. They get high because they want peace. And they've lived their whole life never feeling peace. And all of a sudden, they take that first hit, they take that first puff, and all of a sudden, all the fear, all the anxiety, and all the peace, it leaves for a moment. And they think, oh, okay, I'm okay. It's all better. The anxiety's gone for a moment. Oh, I'm not so self-conscious. Oh, this is nice. Oh, I don't care what people think about me anymore. Hallelujah. That's why it's so deceiving. 
That's a weak and a sickly heart. I was weak and I was sickly. And you know, Paul talked about, and because they're weak and sickly, because they're not discerning that they've been divorced from the body of death in the earth and they've been braided together with God, what's happening is they're doing things that are bringing destruction and destroying their lives. I was doing things that was destroying my life. Not discerning the Lord's body. Not discerning that God got it right to liberate my life from being held in my injury. And not discerning that He had hidden my life with Himself in Jesus. And that nothing, whether running or not running, could ever separate me from the life God gave me. I wasn't discerning that. So I was weak and sickly. And I was trying to bring comfort to myself. I wasn't looking to what Jesus did to comfort me by divorcing me from the world and giving me life. And I was trying to bring comfort to myself. And I used drugs and alcohol. And don't you know, in 8th grade, I overdosed and I died. I fall asleep because I was raging. Because I didn't have shalom. I was weak and sickly in the heart. And I was weak and sickly in my heart because I was judging whether or not I had life by what I saw in my mortal body instead of by what I saw in the immortality of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about in Corinth. Right? Now that doesn't mean discerning the Lord's body doesn't play a role in our physical health. It doesn't mean it doesn't play a role in our physical health. You know, modern science tells us the root of sickness and disease. Do you know what it says is the root of all sickness and disease? Stress. Stress. You know, our population today is the most anxiety-filled population that there's ever been. Like our kids can't even go to school without having like places where they don't have to hear things that contradict what they believe because of the stress of it all. We're medicating our population like nobody's business because of stress. You know, kids are buckling under the weight of anxiety because of stress. We were never created to live by the sweat of our brow. We were never created to live like that. We were never meant to carry the burden of bringing our own lives out of corruption. We were never meant to do that. We were never meant to even know corruption. We were never meant to even be able to see it anywhere else, much less in ourselves. And do you know the stress and the fear that can try to come upon a person when they see corruption in the world around them and when they see it in themselves? We're all feeling it right now. That can wreak havoc on the frame of your body because you were never meant to carry that. And so this gospel delivers you from that by showing you that God offered His own body up to be broken to bring your life forth out of corruption on the shoulders of His indestructible life. And now you're living in this world discerning the Lord's body every day. And that's keeping you from fear. It's keeping you from stress. It's keeping you from the burdens that give you fear and stress, which is what breaks down your body. I was carrying the weight of bringing forth my own life. And I said, the way I'll bring forth my life is by this running. Well, I was a little bit older because I was a drug addict for so long. So I had to accelerate the training. And in accelerating the training, I got the stress fracture in my foot. You see how me carrying the burden brought forth sickness in my body? The fear of if I don't run, I'll never have life. The burden I was carrying, the stress, injury, 
Because now I was doing things I should have never been doing. I was raging. But it looked good to the world because I was cut, don't you know? The world would have said, he's one of the most healthy people in the whole world. His resting heart rate is like 36. The dude's almost dead. I would go to the doctor and they'd be like, dude, are you alive? My anaerobic capacity was off the freaking charts. Forgive my language. According to the world, I was the most healthy kind of guy that could ever exist. I promise you, I was weak and sickly. Do you know how I know? Because when I got the stress fracture and I couldn't run anymore, you know, I had been delivered from drugs for a long time then. And I'm not ashamed to say this. This is true. My wife could testify to this. When I got the stress fracture and I didn't get the healing, I became a drug addict again for about a year and a half. Not discerning the Lord's body. But discerning what I would do to deliver myself from this depression. You see? It's like the example of the robotic arm. I'm going to play that video, but there's an artist that made a robotic arm. And it's this, this mechanical thing. It's this big thing. It's an art exhibit. And the arm, you know, is happy. The arm starts off happy. The thing ran for a couple years. Well, the, the, the machine starts leaking oil at some point on purpose. And then the arm is like, oh, my gosh, that's not good. How many of you think it's good when your blood starts running out of your body? So the arm starts freaking out because of the blood running out of its body. Like you can see the anxiety manifesting in the arm. And it starts scooping all the oil back up, scooping all the oil back up. Everything it's doing to scoop the oil back up. Well, the more it tries to scoop the oil back up, don't you know the more oil comes out? So ultimately it just, it just stops. It's a powerful image of what we're talking about. And it's a powerful image of our lives. And most of the things that harm our bodies do most of the things that harm our bodies are the result of us trying to comfort ourselves from affliction? Most of the things we do to harm our bodies is because we feel stress, we feel fear, we feel overwhelmed, we feel tired, we feel, we feel, we feel, and we want comfort. And then we go to things for comfort that aren't the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus does not judge us for having mortal bodies. He gets it. But we're talking about having health and shalom. And the way you're going to have health and shalom is by receiving the comfort that comes from the God that has a life that can't die. And as you find yourself being comforted by that life, you'll stop doing, you'll be set free from the things you're doing to comfort yourself. And then health can manifest in your body. If you could just be delivered from fear and stress. If you could be delivered from the fear of what other people think. People can testify, when we started this church, I was the most stressed out person in the whole world. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm a little bit unorthodox up here. I'm kind of a maniac. I move around, I yell, I scream. I use words and terminology. What are you saying? Do you know I felt great stress and anxiety when we started the church because of that? And it was making me sick. But then I discerned the Lord's body. And that stress and anxiety got lifted. I promise you it can manifest in, in your type of situation also. Right? That's divine health. If you want divine health, what you want to be thinking of is, Lord, fill me with your peace and your love and your joy. Help me to discern your body every day. Unwrap it with me. Let my prayers be about that you offered yourself as a lamb. Let my prayers with you be about me remembering that you've divorced me from the death that can get in this body. 
and you've joined me together with the strength that's in the body of Jesus. That I'm not one with the weakness I see, but I'm one with the strength I see. And then you'll be filled with peace and love and joy. You'll be saved from fear. The stress will be lifted off of you, right? And you'll start having health, shalom, tranquility, quietness come alive inside of you, a stillness come alive inside of you. The stillness that comes from knowing nothing can separate you from the miracle that is Jesus. When you start grabbing hold of the miracle you have now, the treasure you have in this earthen vessel now, right? That's health and healing for all of you. That's how it works itself out, right? Does that make sense? You know, Acts 20 says that this messes people up, but Acts 20 says, and I put in the verse because people don't believe you when you say it. But Acts 20, I think it's verse 32, or it might be verse 28. It says God shed his own blood. God shed his own blood to redeem you, to redeem me from the body that has death in it. That's why he says he shed his blood. God Almighty, the Father of all life, he offered himself to you through the body of Jesus. He's offered himself to you. Right? I see this death that's tormenting you. I'm going to offer up my body to take that death into myself so I can remove it from you and so that your body can become my temple and so that I can start dwelling in your body. Your body is the temple of God. God himself has come and sucked in you. He gave his body up to be broken. He shed his blood so he could divorce you from your marriage to the body of death so you could be free to be married to another, even him, through the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he did. He's in your body now. He has caused death to pass over you already. Death has passed over you, right? That's what communion is about. They took, communion came from the Passover. It's the Passover meal. Jesus says, for now on, when you think of Passover, don't think about the Exodus, but rather think about death passing over you. And so when you see a sickness in your body, you know what that sickness is trying to tell you? Death is in you. And when you take the communion, you want your mind to be caught up and say, death has nothing in me. God himself is dwelling inside of this body. God will keep this body. God has caused death to pass over this body. God even gave his own body up to be broken for me. God provided himself as the lamb. And now I'm going to feed on the table of life he's prepared for me. I'm taking the bread and I'm taking the wine. Right? So we'll just pray and then we'll take communion. Father, man, we're here today seeing that you provided yourself as a lamb. That you're here today to serve us all with your life. Thank you, Father, for destroying our union to this body that can die. Thank you for braiding us together with yourself through the body of the Lord Jesus. Lord, just let your life be loosed in all of us as we partake of communion today. Thank you, Father, that heaven has invaded all the people in this room. And I just thank you, Lord, that heaven, the life that's in heaven, would just explode inside of their mortal bodies. Lord, that their mortal bodies be quickened 
by the power of your life. That every weakness that's tried to come upon their body, that every weakness that's tried to sting their heart, Lord, that that be sent away from them. Lord, that just as you divorce us from death, that that weakness that's in their body, that it could be sent away from them. I thank you, Lord, that they'll be made strong by the power of your life as they fellowship today, as they commune with you today, as they commune with the fact that they're not one with weakness, but they're one with you in your life. I just thank you, Father, that it will be strength to their mortal bodies, that it will be life to their mortal bodies, that it will be health and healing to all their flesh. I just thank you, Father, that all the things that we've done to try to comfort our bodies. I just thank you, Lord, that they fall off of us today, that the comfort that comes from your hand, that that comfort could be made manifest in everyone here, that they could find their flesh being comforted by your hand, Father. I thank you, Father, that you stretched your hand forth towards all of us, and your hand is resting on our heads right now. And I thank you, Father, that a judgment could begin to be born in us from the power of your hand resting on us, and we can begin to judge that any discomfort we might feel in our bodies, that any discomfort that we might see in our life, that we will judge that discomfort to be nothing in comparison to the life you have in yourself, Lord. And we'll begin to judge that this discomfort can never separate us from your comfort. Thank you, Father, for working life in all of us. Amen.